0: Good morning, H2O. Uh, if you are, my name's Caleb and I'm on staff here. Uh, if you're new or visiting, like Joe said, thank you for coming. We are glad that you're here. Also, uh, welcome to the, you who haven't been back from spring break yet. It's good to see you guys again as well. Um, and like Joe said, we are going to pick back up in the book of Acts today. Uh, but before we get into our text, I want to kind of frame our thinking a little bit. Um, has anybody been keeping up with what's been happening with Tom Brady, right? He has. Been unretired officially. So, if you're not familiar, quarterback from the Buccaneers, formerly the New England Patriots, as well. Um, some people would say the greatest of all time, but we're not going to debate that today, um, thankfully, right? Um, but before that, earlier, I think it was in January, there was this controversy over whether Brady was actually retired or not, okay? So, there was a guy who reported that Tom Brady was going to retire and then his dad basically comes out and says, well, he hasn't made the decision yet, you know, he hasn't decided whether he wants to come back for another season or if he wants to retire, and then Brady comes out and says, I am going to retire, and then here we are today, as of last week, unretired, right? Um, So you see how, like, there can be this chain of miscommunication and not necessarily accurate information that happens in the news and on social media uh, but I think this is something that can happen to us spiritually as well. We can uh, sometimes have people who say, oh, I think God is telling me to tell you this. And there might be a, a breakdown in the, or a miscommunication there. Their interpretation might not be 100% correct. And I think this is what we're going to see today in our story with Paul, that there are people that are telling Paul something, and I think their interpretation is not accurate, okay? That's what we see in Acts 21. Um, but today we will be in Acts 21, starting on verse 1, all right? And if you're using the blue Bibles in the tubs in front of you, it's page 542. And so as you're turning there, uh, here's just a little bit of background to the, uh, to the section we're reading, all right? Because I think if you don't have this background information from chapter 20, chapter 21 will be more confusing than uh, if you had that background information. So as we read our Bibles in our, uh, throughout the week, this is the principle we need to apply. We don't want to just dip into a verse. We need to know the context that it's coming from, or else we can be more confused about what's happening, all right? And so in, in chapters 19 and 20, we see that, that Paul is going to go to Jerusalem, and ultimately he's going to end up in Rome, and, and that is what the Spirit is telling him to do. And so in chapter 20, we see that he's speaking with these elders or leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he is saying that, okay, I know I'm going to not see you guys again. So basically he's saying, I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to suffer for the gospel and go to Jerusalem. Okay, the spirit It says the Spirit constrains Paul, so it's telling him to go there quickly and that he needs to go to Jerusalem um, and that he's going to face affliction. So keep that in mind, that Paul had that uh, constraining from the Spirit uh, as we dive into chapter 21. That background is so important. So that being said, let's read Acts twenty one, starting in verse one. And it says, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Petara, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there was a ship for the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they they returned home. All right, so we're just going to stop there for a second, uh, and we'll pick up later. But as we saw in Ephesus chapter 20, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And so like all those cities you see mentioned and all that type of stuff, that is just the route back to Jerusalem, pretty standard. Paul was probably just hopping on some cargo ships and you know, kind of like hitchhiking type of idea there. Um, and so he's hopping on these things, uh, these boats, and he is headed back to Jerusalem. But I think we notice in verse six we see the closeness of Paul to the people in this church. Right? They're sending him off. They're praying him out. And there, there seems to be this this emotional closeness and relationship that Paul has built up with these people. They're wishing him well as he heads to Jerusalem. Um, but we also see that in verse four, these people through the Spirit are saying, "Don't go to Jerusalem." So we, we're, that's kind of a vague kind of statement, and I think we'll see a more specific statement toward, as we go through the chapter, but it's just, it doesn't exactly say what the Spirit told them necessarily, but they're saying you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. So this is the opposite of what we see Paul hearing in chapter 20. So they're starting to pressure him not to go to Jerusalem. So with that, we'll pick up in verse 7. And verse 7 says this, When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manassin of Cyprus, an early disciple, with whom we should lodge. And then, just real quick, I want to jump to verse 27 to see what happens. Uh, And when the, the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. All right, so that is, that is our text for today. Um, and so, so there's some interesting scenes here that might make us feel uncomfortable, depending on our church background, or if we're not familiar, that familiar with the church, it can be like, okay, the Spirit's telling these people to, do, to say these things, and what's going on with all that. Um, but ultimately, we have people are telling Paul that he's going to go to prison if he goes to Jerusalem. And then what do we see there in verse 27? The, the Jews grab him, and then ultimately they take him to prison. And interestingly, we see this guy do this like performance art type of thing. He takes the belt, binds his hands and his feet, right? Um, And what he's doing here is he's echoing back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets would act out their prophecies a lot of the time, and so Isaiah did this uh, a lot of the time he would act things out. Jeremiah is also famous for acting out the prophecies that he was given. And so basically, the reason why this guy is acting it out is he's trying to say, "I am legit. This is real from the spirit that I, that this is going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem." All right so So he's saying that this is authentic. Um, and so but interestingly, I think you'll note, too that. Paul never debates the authenticity of the fact that he will go to jail if he goes to Jerusalem, right? He, he never is debating that fact. They're on the same page there that, you know, he's going to go to jail if he goes to Jerusalem. Um, and we could easily see how these people in the churches would think that Paul is just being an idiot here. He's kind of being foolish, right, in their eyes. Um and I think from a worldly mindset, this would seem very foolish. The guy has a successful ministry. He's planted a ton of churches and all these type of things. You know, he, he's a great guy, and they love him. He's their friend also, so they don't want to see him go to prison. But, you know, and so that's their perspective on the situation. But as, as we see in chapter 20, Paul's perspective is that the Spirit has already told him this, and he says even in chapter 20 that the Spirit confirmed this with him, as he goes throughout the different cities. So this wasn't just a one-off thing with Paul and the Spirit telling him to do that, but this was happening over and over again. So if you couldn't tell, if you've been with us through the series of Acts, Paul is a stubborn guy, and if you haven't noticed that already, if he thinks the Spirit is telling him to do something, he's going to follow it all the way to the end. He's not going to give up on it. Um, And if we remember back to Acts 9.16, it tells us that God would show Paul how much he was to suffer for the gospel. So so he from the beginning, we see that Paul is going to suffer. This was going to be a part of his life. And then back to chapter 20, which I mentioned earlier, it says very specific, he's going to grow to Jerusalem. He's not going to see these people in Ephesus again, either due to imprisonment or death. Um, so that is kind of the context. We see that Paul knew this was part of the part of his ministry, so not a surprise to him that pain and suffering and even death would be part of his ministry. Um, all right, and Paul knows what he, what he what God has for him, um, and I think this is something that can be difficult in our modern context to really understand. We don't really see a lot of people going to prison for their faith uh, in America, at least. Um, but perhaps we could be called to a different level of suffering in our lives. You know, something like maybe we're called to share the gospel with a family member or a friend or a roommate, and there might be some stakes in that. Maybe that relationship will end as a result of that. They don't want to be your friend because you're a Christian and you're sharing the gospel with them, you know. They might think you're foolish if you do this. You know? there, there is a cost sometimes when we share the gospel, the good news, with other people. Um, or maybe we are called to go to a different place where sharing the gospel actually does have the stakes of you know going to prison or things like that. You know my, my cousin in law, they, they are in a country where it is illegal. Um, so ma- many of Paul's letters talk about this thing of we should not be surprised when we suffer. And first Peter specifically talks about we shouldn't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes to us that we will suffer for the gospel. But that being said, I think the obvious question, as you read this text, especially for the first time is, what do we do with the fact that there's these two, two sets of people here? We have Paul who says, the Spirit's telling me to go to Jerusalem. The other group is saying, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to go to jail. Okay, so we have these two type of ideas that seem to be contradicting one another, right? So who is right? Who is wrong here in this situation? Um, but I, I think there's three things we need to think about here. First, we should ask, what word is specifically the Spirit giving these people? Um, So I I think what we see in the first uh, story of somebody giving it to him, it doesn't really say what the Spirit told them specifically, but just that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And then the second time, I think we have a more concrete example of what the Spirit is showing these people, that he is going to go to jail. Remember, the guy acted it out. He put the belt on his hands and his feet and saying, you're going to go to jail if you go to Jerusalem. But I think the people are using their own wisdom in interpreting how he should apply this prophecy that they have here, that, you know, they're saying, okay, going to jail means you should not go there. But Paul is saying, no, 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 I think that that is exactly why I should go there. So that's number one. And then number two, we see that from the beginning of Paul's ministry, God told Paul that he was going to suffer much. So it shouldn't be a surprise that suffering will lead to uh, God using it for his glory. Um, So we knew this from the beginning, like I mentioned earlier, chapters 19, 20, also chapter 9, confirm that this is Paul's calling to suffer and even be imprisoned. And then third, I think we see confirmation uh, of this being what God is calling him to do uh, by what happens later on in Paul's ministry. Um, so, you know, if, this does, if Paul doesn't go to prison, he probably doesn't necessarily, you know, we can't know this for sure, but we don't know if he would have written some of what they call the, the prison epistles, you know, that he wrote while he was in jail. So things like uh, Philippians and things like that. Uh, He might not have gotten to write those if he was not in prison. Um, And Philippians 1 specifically says uh, that the gospel went out because of his imprisonment. It says that his imprisonment caused the gospel to go out in the prison guards and that it encouraged others to be more bold in their faith. They saw Paul being willing to go to jail and risk his life for the gospel, and then that encouraged other people to be more bold in their faith, right? Um, So we see that God used this suffering and this jail time in Paul's life in a big way, so I think that also confirms that Paul is on the right track here. Um, So you know the Spirit, so so God used this time in a big way. Um, So I believe that Paul is correct and that the other people are prophesying are wrong. Just to sum it up, is one, the Spirit does not seem to be saying don't go to Jerusalem, just that he would be imprisoned if he went there. Two, Paul always knew the plan would involve suffering, and three. It's clear how God used this suffering in his life to advance the gospel. So as we can see here that we need to be careful when someone says they have a word from the Spirit or they're saying like, hey, this is what you should do. Um, I'm not trying to say that's necessarily wrong to do, but we need to be careful in, in our interpretation. I've heard a preacher say that we don't need to, we should not mess up the prediction with the prescription, so we can't confuse the prescription with the prediction here. And I think that's what we see here, right? We see that these people have the prediction of Paul going to prison if he's in Jerusalem, right? That is the prediction. But then their prescription is that, okay, if you're going to go to jail, therefore you should not go to Jerusalem. But Paul already knew that that was the plan, Uh, so they had messed up the prescription from the prediction. Um, So we can't just go and live our lives based off what other people are telling us, even if there is something true in it, right? These people had something that was true. Paul would go to prison, right? Right? And we saw that in verse 27. But, you know, we can't just necessarily take what the majority of people think we should do as what we should do. We can't live our lives by just taking a poll. Um, sometimes we have to stand up to other people and not do what they're telling us to do. Um, but I think there's two extremes in, as we live this out in our lives. You know, our immaturity can either, A, lead us to always go off of what other people are telling us because we're scared of the pushback that may, they might give us. We might lose friendships, things like that. Or the other extreme is we can always tend to live in defiance of what other people are telling us to do. And I think both these things can be immaturity in our lives if we tend to just default towards the other, right? Um, and, and, you know, I tend to lean more towards the stand in defiance of what other people are stay, saying to me, and, and that can be pride in my life of not wanting to listen to other people. But, you know, I'm just as guilty of, you know, doing that as anyone else. And, and we need to be motivated by the Spirit uh, out of love for other people, to listen to them and hear what they're saying. Um, and I think sometimes we just tend to do this thing where we just kind of let the, the sound bounce off of our ears and be like, okay, whatever, whatever, I listen to you, but then not actually hear what the people are saying. We actually need to hear them out. Um, and I think Paul is a great example of doing both of these things, of knowing when to listen to others and also knowing when to stand up and not do what others are telling him. Um, and so earlier in Paul's life, he was discipled by a guy named Barnabas. He trained him up in the faith, right? And a lot of the times he would follow what Barnabas is telling him to do. Not all the time, obviously, but, but he would often follow Barnabas' lead. Okay, so he, he would listen to him. He would hear him out. I think in this section we also see that Paul hears people out, right? He said It says uh, that he answered after they had said their piece, right? They had said their prediction, and then he, he responds to it. Uh, but other times we see that Paul is willing to stand in defiance, and th- I think this is an example of that, that Paul is not going to just listen to what other people are telling him because the Spirit has given him a specific mission, so he stands up to them. Um, I think it's really hard to kind of live in this tension of knowing when when do I listen to the other people, when do I stand up for what I feel like God is telling me to do. This can be difficult. Um, I think this applies to lots of situations in our lives are difficult decisions that we have to make, right? Um, You know, many of you have gone through the process of, you know, what college do I go to? That is a difficult decision. There's a lot of factors involved, you know. Do I go to grad school after I finish undergrad? That's a difficult decision, you know. Or who do I date? Or if I'm dating somebody, do I marry this person? Do I not? What would I do there? Or, you know, if you're out of college, do you rent an apartment for another year? Do you buy a house? Like, these are These can be tough decisions, and there's a lot that is at stake with them. Um, And, you know, we could go on and on listing all sorts of difficult examples, but but how do we grow in wisdom in these decisions? Because God has put us in a world where we need to grow in wisdom and discernment, and I think that's what we see in this passage in Acts. Um, And often in Psalms and Proverbs, we see that we need to seek after wisdom, that wisdom, you know, Proverbs compares wisdom to a lady that needs to be sought after. Um, and so a guy that used to disciple me in Columbus, he would use these two verses to show the need for wisdom and discernment to properly apply biblical principles. So it'll come up on the screen here, this, these two verses in Proverbs. So just pay attention to this, because the wording is really interesting. For, verse uh, 4 says, and answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And verse 5 is, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes seems to directly contradict one another verse by verse, right? Very interesting passage here. It can be very confusing. What do you do with something like that, right? It's One is saying, answer the fool. The other is saying, don't answer the fool because he's foolish, right? Um, but I think the point that the author of Proverbs is trying to make here is that you need to have the right discernment and wisdom when you apply both these principles. There's a time when it is right to answer the fool, and there's a time when it's not right to answer the fool, and you need to grow in wisdom and rely on the spirit for discernment as you're making this decision. So how can we grow in this? How can we know when the time is right to answer and when the time is wrong to answer? I've got kind of five different things that can help us to grow in this. But before I share those, I just want to make it clear that you know there's no specific formula where you're going to have the correct answer every time, or if I do this, confess this sin, do this prayer, do all these different things, and then God will give me a specific answer how I'm looking for the answer. That, it just doesn't seem to work that way. There are principles we can live by that the Bible gives us when we look for discernment, but there's not an A plus B equals C answer all the time. You know, God may be giving us an answer in a way we don't necessarily like, or he may be giving us an answer we don't want to hear, and so we're not looking for it. That, that can happen in our lives, all right? So here are kind of five things that we can do to grow in wisdom and discernment. Um, number one, pray and listen, okay? Pray and listen. So this seems obvious, a guy at a church telling you to pray. You know, that's not, not anything new there, right? Um, but how often do we try to make decisions out of our own wisdom and not God's wisdom, right? We just... Rely on ourselves and what we have to say, right? But James 1 5 tells us that if we ask for wisdom, God will give it to us, okay? And and this can seem like a cliche or trite answer to the problem, right? But, you know, I think a lot of times we just kind of throw up a prayer and we don't spend. Extended times with God, seeking Him for wisdom and discernment in these things. And we don't really spend any time in silence and solitude very much anymore because our lives are so fast paced, you know, and we've got all this to do and we've got our phones constantly with us, and this can be difficult to actually spend time with God and actually seek Him and focus on Him. Um, and I, I think a good example of what this would be like from God's perspective um, so back when I was in high school, which was a while ago. I'm pretty old now. Um, but there was this, you know, nobody really had data plans back then or smartphones. It was just, you know, classic, uh, what do you call it? like TI-80, however the, the you know, different one through nine buttons to spell things out when you're texting and stuff like that. Um, and so back when I was in high school, there was this service called Cha-Cha. Have you guys, anybody heard of Cha-Cha or am I just that old? All right, so I'm not the only one out there. Okay, we're, all right. Um, so back this service called cha-cha back then, what you would do is you'd have a number. And you ask a question to this number. You just text this question to a number. And then like five minutes later, somebody gives you an answer to your question, right? So you're just like text it in. And then it just gives you a response about five minutes later. Um, But I think this is how like our prayers could come off to God sometimes. We just kind of shoot off a question to him. But we're not really seeking a relationship with him. We're just like, God, give me this answer. You know, you owe me to answer this thing. You said you're going to give me wisdom. So give me wisdom how I want it. And this is really prideful, and we're not coming to God humbly. And you know, we're treating God as if He's a, He owes us something, and He's just kind of like a genie for us, right? You think of like Aladdin type of genie, you rub rub the lamp, and He gives you an answer type of thing. That's that's kind of how we're treating God. Um, yes, we need to ask for wisdom in the situation, absolutely but God doesn't necessarily owe us an answer in the way we think he's going to, or even the answer we necessarily want, right? That is just not the way it works. You know, God is God. He has the right to do things the way he wants to. Um, So the answer we may be getting, we might not like. Or maybe God is giving you freedom in the decision to do what you want to do. You know, that could be a possible answer as well. Maybe we don't want to make that decision, but maybe God's giving us freedom in it. God will give us an answer, but I think more often than not, we could spend more time in prayer, you know? Are we waiting for the Lord in prayer? Or are we spending time in silence and solitude with God, you know? And it isn't explicitly stated that they're praying for wisdom here, but we do see in the text in Acts 21 that they are praying for Paul, right? I imagine that they're praying for wisdom with him there. It doesn't necessarily say that, but I think that's reasonable to infer there, um, but we do see that Paul is consistently living a life of prayer in his letters. In the greetings and at the ends of all his letters, we see that Paul is praying for people. and He lists different names of people in the different churches that Paul is praying for. So we see that Paul lives a life of prayer constantly. So we should model that as well when we're struggling with decisions. And if you have questions about how, what prayer should look like in your life, talk to us. Talk to a staff member. We'd love to help you with that as well. So, so first, point number one is, Pray and listen for God. Point number two, seek wisdom from godly men and women. So as a church, we are the body of Christ, and we're meant to work together, okay? And insight from others can be really critical uh, when we're making difficult uh, decisions, you know, and in some of Paul's letter, he talks about how we should, you know, older men and women should seek to help younger men and women in the faith, disciple them, grow them in the faith. Uh, so we need to do this as a church. But as we see in this text, that that is not the end-all, be-all. We need to use discernment when people are giving us advice. We can't just go off of whatever anyone is telling us, because in this situation, they were telling Paul the opposite of what God was telling Paul to do. So we must first submit to God and the Holy Spirit. That's why I listed prayer first, rather than than listening, ask others for advice, okay? So we need to make sure we're praying about it and then asking for advice, Um, So, you know, we see that Paul is listening to these people's input, even though they're wrong. Okay, he waits, he gives them their fair shake, and he lets them talk about what they feel like God is telling them. And then he answers in verse 13. He is patient with them. He loves them. And, you know, generally we see that asking for advice from godly men and women is profitable, but it doesn't mean that is necessarily the right answer, what they tell you to do. That's point number two is, you know, ask godly men and women for advice. Number three is ask, is this in line with God's revealed will? So what does the Bible have to say about this? What, what does the Bible say? Are there biblical principles that apply to your situation? Okay, maybe there's not a, you know, textbook, okay, I'm dating this person, what do I do? Answer, like, verse in the Bible, right? But there are principles that apply to it. Um, you know, I feel like every time I say, okay, we need to spend time in the Word, right, that can come off as, like, cliche and things like that, but, but we need to be people of the Bible. We need to study it day in and day out, because if we do not read it, we don't know what it says, and we don't know how it can help us in our lives, okay? And, and if you are start reading the Bible, I think, one, there can be a lot of questions, right? It can, there can be things that are confusing or seem weird, like even in this passage, a guy takes off Paul's belt and wraps it around his hands. That can come off as a little weird, right? Um, But, you know, that that is why we're here. We're here to help you and work through the questions together as a church, not just leave people out to dry there. But number two, as you spend more time in the Bible, you can start to see how it applies to your life. And, you know, if we are in Christ, then the Spirit can convict us of sin, encourage us as we're reading the Bible as well. Um, and, And I think we should also look at this passage here. Is what Paul is doing, is that outside of what the Bible tells us to do? No, if we look at Matthew 10... He, Jesus tells the, his disciples, his 12 disciples, that, you know, you will suffer just like I have suffered. You know, you are going to share the gospel with people and you'll suffer, okay? So we see that sometimes we are called to suffer for our faith. Um, so point number three is, is the decision in line with God's revealed will or what does the Bible have to say about this, right? <clears throat> point number four, make the decision, okay? Again, seems super obvious, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in, like, choosing the right answer, especially if we're more of a type A perfectionist type of person, we might have some anxiety about actually making the decision, right? That can be tough for us, you know? Um, But, you know, I think sometimes God might be giving us uh you know freedom in the situation and we are paralyzed by fear we you know we don't want to just be sitting around waiting forever for for a specific neon sign because maybe that's not how god wanted to communicate to us in it. you know maybe god was just using uh letting us use our wisdom and discernment and whatever we choose he'll use that is that is also possible but i think this leads us directly into our next point uh number five we need to trust god um this is really hard to do sometimes especially with big and difficult life decisions um And I think this is really clearly what Paul is doing, you know, God had given him a specific calling, and he had affirmed it multiple times, and then he trusts that even though it's going to be hard, God is going to use it, right? Uh, And chapter 20 tells us that he is committed to doing this mission, whether he lives or dies, you know, that is what he's all about. And this is really radical, isn't it, that we would be willing to trust God so much that we'd even give up our lives for it. and I just want to give us some helpful insights, because if you just say trust God, I think a lot of times that comes off as like a throwaway answer of like, oh, you just don't want to help me, you just want to tell me to trust God. But I think there are things we can do that can help us as we're trying to trust God in our, in our relationship with Him. And first one is, is remembering what God has done for us. Um, so how has God been faithful in the past to you? Um, you know, if you have repented and believed in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, then we can have confidence that no matter what happens, we have a hope in Jesus, and we can cling to the future hope that we have with Christ. Uh, we can cling to that, even no matter what happens. Um, and I think we really need the Spirit to empower us to do this. Like, we've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit in Acts because he's all over the book, um, but, you know, we, if we are not in Christ, we don't have the Holy Spirit to empower us to trust God through these difficult situations. So we need to be in Christ. And if you have questions about this, please talk to us. We want to share more about this with you. So talk to me, talk to a staff member about that. That's number one, remembering what God has done in our lives in the past. And then number two, read verses where people have struggled uh, trusting God in the past, okay? Uh, read verses where people have struggled to trust God in the past, A great example of this in the Old Testament is Habakkuk. And you may have never heard of Habakkuk, but it's a really short book. It's uh, only three chapters, so super short. If you're not into reading very much, I'd highly recommend it. You might have questions. I'd love to help you with that. But it'll take you five minutes to read. And Habakkuk um, is told by God that his entire world is going to be flipped upside down. The economy in Israel is going to tank. All their crops are not going to exist anymore. They're going to be taken over by these foreign invaders. And all this stuff's going to happen in his life and it's going to be flipped completely upside down. Okay? But then at the end in chapter three, we see Habakkuk, he prays a prayer and he asks God, you know, this is going to be hard. And even though all this is going to happen, I'm going to trust you. He's. He, he a prayer, and then he sings a song to God and praises him, even though it's difficult. And that can encourage us to see that people in the past have had trouble dealing with, you know, trusting, how do I trust God in this situation? But we can see that they had faith even through the trials. Um, that's number two. Number three is cling to Christian community. Okay, we cannot hide from other people in the church when we're going through uh, difficult times, if we're trying to discern something through the Spirit or, you know, if we're trying to make a difficult decision, we need to spend time in community. Isn't that what Paul does? He goes to all these different churches, want to encourage them, but also he talks about his mission with these people and is open about it, and he's willing to hear their feedback, even though he doesn't necessarily listen to what they're saying, but he, he listens to them and spends time in Christian community to encourage him through this difficult decision and this difficult time for him. So those are kind of three things to help you grow and trust in trusting God, because I don't want to just leave you with a, statement of, oh, just trust God, go and do it, you know, without any tangible type of meat to hang on to there, right? And I just want to end with kind of a a story about how I had to make a difficult decision in my life. Um, So when I had graduated from college, I decided to uh, go on staff up at uh, Bowling Green and raise some support and do college ministry. Um, But then I was offered an opportunity to go on a church plant team to Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And at first I was like, no way, I'm not doing that. That's far from my family. It sounds really difficult. I don't know very many people there. And so I'm just like, there's all these reasons why I don't really want to do this, okay? And then after a while I was like, you know, I'll just pray about it. Probably not going to go, but I'll pray about it. I'll give it a chance, okay? And probably not the right attitude to have, but I did did pray about it, all right? (laughs) But from there, after a while, after a couple weeks of praying about it, I was like, You know, maybe I should at least, you know, think about it more, give it more of a consideration. Maybe this is what God has for me. Um, And so throughout that process, I started asking other people who were, you know, older in the faith and wiser than me for input. And, you know, a lot of the, the questions they gave me weren't necessarily anything new, but sometimes because you're in the situation, like I was, I wasn't necessarily thinking about these basic questions that, you know, their outside perspective really helped me with. They're like, hey, do you think this is biblical, what you're doing, going to start this church? And I was like, well, the Great Commission tells us to go make disciples of all nations, so I don't think there's anything explicitly unbiblical about this decision, um, And so as I was going about this, I prayed more and more uh, with my wife Abby about this, and and what should we do? Uh, What should we do? You know. And as time went on, I felt more and more kind of this pull towards going to Madison. And you know, eventually, I was like, you know, I think this is where God wants me to do. That He wants me to be in Madison with this church plant team. And there wasn't like a, a neon sign or like an audible voice or anything of God telling me to do it. But I felt peace and confidence that that is where God wanted me to be. Um, You know, and I think that was the spirit telling me that this is where he wanted me to be at that place in time on that church plant team. And this doesn't mean that it wasn't hard because it was really hard at times. It was very difficult. There was very few people, especially for the first year I was there, very few of the church plant team was there yet. So we didn't have a lot of friends. And my wife also was diagnosed with Crohn's disease while we were there. So there was a lot of difficult and hard things that we had to go through while we were there. But not for a moment did we say, no, this is not where God has us. I think it was, we had confidence that that's where God wants us to be, even though it was hard. So just to remind us of the five things to help us grow in uh, trusting God is, pray, ask, ask God to give you wisdom. Two, ask godly men and women for insight. Three, ask if the Bible has anything to say four, make the decision, five, trust God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that because we are in Christ, we can have the Holy Spirit to empower us and give us wisdom, and discernment while we're making difficult decisions and trying to discern if, if your Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something, God. We thank you for this text of Acts 21 where we see Paul live out godly wisdom and discernment, Lord. And I just ask if there's anyone here who's having a hard, uh, having a hard time making a decision or trying to discern if the Spirit is telling them something, that they would seek community. They would seek advice from godly men and women to help them with the decision, Lord. And I just pray that, uh, you know, we, we would be listening for your spirit. We're spending time in prayer, practicing silence and solitude sometimes, Lord. I think those are often neglected. And I know myself sometimes neglect those things, Lord. So we just want to repent of that, God. We're so thankful for your Spirit empowering us, and we're so thankful for the book of Acts, how we see how your Spirit works with us, Lord. Um, so I just pray that as we go out and as we make these difficult decisions in your life, that we would we'd spend time with you, we'd spend time in the Word, and we'd spend time in community. And we're just so thankful for all that you're doing in these decisions, Lord. And we just say, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.